to our first rib cast uh, for the uh, Chest Wall Injury Society. We are privileged today. We have a conversation on tap with uh, Dr. Larry Lottenberg, who is the president of the Chest Wall Injury Society. Uh, joining me, uh, my name is Dave Morris, and I'll be uh, moderating. And joining me to moderate is also uh, Tom White. Tom, you want to say hello? Greetings. Uh, Larry, it's nice to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Our, our goal today was to uh, try to in, uh, introduce you to uh, the members of the society that might not know you as well as we do and to uh, sort of pick your brain on the science, the progress, and the future of uh, uh, rib repair uh, specifically, but uh, chest wall injury in, in, uh, in general. So uh, let's, let's start by having you tell us a little bit about your pedigree. Can you tell us where you, were, where you hail from and where you went to school and that, those sorts of things? Well, I was uh, actually born in New York, but I grew up in Miami, uh, Florida. I uh, moved down there when I was nine years old. Um, all of my uh, junior high and elementary and high school schooling was down in uh, the city of Miami way back in the uh, 60s. Uh, I went to college at the University of Florida in Gainesville, and then I came back to Miami to go to medical school at the University of Miami, and I uh, finished uh, med school there in 1975 and. Uh, started my surgical residency at uh, Jackson Memorial Hospital. Uh, I got the opportunity to train during the height of uh, the uh, violent crime era in uh, the city of Miami. I lived uh, and breathed uh, Miami Vice uh, every day of my training and uh, came out of there with a, uh, a huge uh, founding in uh, trauma and uh, critical care and uh, uh, general surgery. I then uh, relocated just a little bit north to the uh, Fort Lauderdale area and uh, practiced uh, in private practice doing general and vascular surgery and some trauma for the first 10 years of my career. And then I gravitated towards one of the hospitals in uh, uh, South Fort Lauderdale, actually in the city of Hollywood, and uh, was the first full-time employed physician at that hospital in 1990. Uh, and I started the Level 2 Trauma Center there and matriculated that trauma center at Memorial Regional Hospital in Hollywood, Florida, to a Level 1 Trauma Center in uh, in the early 2000. And uh, I was actually practiced there for about 26 years until I got recruited to go back to uh, my alma mater in Gainesville at the University of Florida and start the Level 1 Trauma Center at the University of Florida at uh, Shands Hospital. So uh, my uniqueness in my background is that I have created trauma programs in actually two separate institutions, matriculated both to level one, one being a community trauma center, the other being an academic trauma center. Um, and uh, I uh, stayed at the University of Florida on faculty there until about 2014 when I sort of retired. And uh, now I'm... Uh, back down in South Florida, mainly because my family's back, wanted to come back to my family, and I'm working at a level one trauma center in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, which is in the center of the uh, knife and gun and drug trade in uh, Palm Beach County. So uh, still staying busy. That's great. That's great. It's, it's a, a very, very impressive uh, resume, and uh, I'm... I'm um, uh, gratified to uh, that we have been able to capture you 
uh, into our uh, fledgling society and, and the, the number of imp the lives of, of obviously the pa numerous countless patients you've impacted, but the number of surgical trainees and colleagues that you've uh, interacted with is, is truly astounding. I, I, and I, I, I uh, thank you for for uh, helping us out. Well, Could you, I, I, it's been a great run. That's terrific. Well, it's not over yet. And I understand you have a grandbaby just about to enter the world. Is that right? Another one. Yeah, I'm expecting my third grandson will be my fourth grandbaby and uh, should be today or tomorrow. So All right. I'm terrific. kind of on pins and needles here. Okay, very good. So uh, how about telling us a little bit about how you got interested in rib fracture repair uh, maybe you can maybe you can recall the first case that you were involved with, or did you were you one of these that started uh, repairing back in the 70s and then abandoned it for a while, or, or you uh, is your experience uh, really exclusively in the modern era? Uh, my experience is exclusively in the modern era. You know, I was I was trained and brought up in the in the era of the of, of rib fractures being just sort of a byproduct of injury, and oh, don't worry, they'll heal on their own, and then. Uh, saw all these patients come back to my office and the only thing they complained about were their ribs and uh, kind of thought in my mind, gee, I wonder I wonder what we're not doing right here. But uh, actually, uh, the way I got exposed to rib plating initially was I became an access surgeon for neurosurgeons and orthopedic spine surgeons. And in part of my access surgery involved giving them exposures in the chest and in order to give them multiple level access exposure, I found that dividing ribs uh, as part of the thoracotomy really helped with exposure. And uh, I sort of started looking back through the literature, and lo and behold, I came upon this guy's name named John Mayberry, who was uh, doing some rib plating out in, in Oregon and had this system with U-plates. And I said to myself, wow, I could probably put that rib back together with those U-plates. And that's how I kind of started in about 2005 and 2006. And uh, then the next thing that happened is I called John, and, you know, obviously he was of the, you know, the Bill Long sort of history there, and he told me all about his relationship with the orthopedic surgeons out there and what he had been doing, and we sort of became uh good buddies by phone, and all of a sudden John decided that he was getting a lot of referrals from the western side of the U.S., and I would be the referring person for the southeastern side of the U.S., and all of a sudden these patients started showing up in my office with, at first, non-union, which, I'll, you know, I'll give you my opinion on that maybe later on. And, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden people started showing up with rib fractures, and that's how I actually started plating. And I I started a program in uh, at Chan's uh, at UF probably in about 2006, 2007. We started plating there. And uh, I got to tell you, at first I was I was a heretic. I was a lunatic. I was like, what do you mean you're plating ribs? But uh, the more often that the partners and the consultants saw these patients walk right back in their office and get back on their horses and get back on their tractors and start back at work, the more they became convinced. And lo and behold, we had a 
a program going at the University of Florida where probably in a period of about five years, we wound up plating uh, almost 300 patients. And uh, that's that's sort of how it got going for me and developing, you know, a system, developing algorithms uh, and networking. And, you know, obviously I think the most important thing for me in this whole process was the networking with with other people that had been doing this uh, much longer and much more often than I uh, allowed me to get a, a really good view uh, from up high from the 10,000-foot view of where this needed to go. So, uh, Larry, quick question for you. The, uh, you mentioned that when you started you were sort of a heretic, and I think that's an experience that a lot of the people that are involved in the Chest Wall Injury Society um, how, tell us about how your uh, patient selection has evolved, maybe from back when you first started for rib repair and to now. Uh, I think we all fall somewhere on the spectrum of how aggressive we will be, you know, from the never played anybody on one end to the uh, there's a fracture, I must fix it on the other end. Um, how, right. How do you select patients now, and has that changed over time? Well, it certainly has. I mean, I think um, initially my first opportunities for putting ribs back together we're on the way out from trauma thoracotomies for blood trauma and for penetrating trauma, where ribs were destroyed, absent, uh, displaced. I, I just felt like, gee, there's just no way to get this chest appropriately closed without putting plates on. So it became a very easy thing to begin plating those kind of patients. Um, but, you know, over time, um, I have certainly... Uh, evolved my idea uh, about who should be plated and who should not be plated uh, based on, uh, you know, patients' whims. And, you know, it, it, you know, being up in north central Florida, as I alluded to, and being in a farm country and in horse country, Ocala is one of the most dense horse countries in the United States, secondary, uh, second to Kentucky, um, we would see uh, patient after patient with multiple displaced ribs. And our entire goal was how fast can we put this particular patient back on a horse? How fast can we get this farmer back on his farm so that he can earn a living for himself and his family? How fast can we get this construction worker back on the job so that he can be the breadwinner again? So it became an issue of, you have some broken ribs. We have a we have a system here that we think we can put you through. We think we can get you through this and get you back to work quicker. And I think it's a lifestyle sort of thing. And then it started translating into people over the age of 65 that played 18 holes of golf every day, got in a motor vehicle crash, fractured multiple ribs, and the question they always asked was, when can I play golf again? And you'd be surprised about how, you know, robust patients over the age of 65 respond to getting some plates put on their ribs to be able to get out and do what they were doing. Um, obviously, you know, we, we definitely paid attention to the literature that was out there, um, of which at first was pretty sparse. But, you know, as we see now, more and more of the literature is getting closer and closer to the level two and level one studies that we're all hanging our hats on. And, you know, fortunately now we've got a couple of studies that 
are showing that without a doubt in a prospective randomized way that if you have a flail chest that you're you're actually going to do much much better plated and you know hopefully through the chest wall injury society we can replicate that flail chest study into the non-flail group but i i i truly think that it's it's a question of how can you get your patient back to the lifestyle and to the work class that they were in prior to injury. And if they meet those criteria of three or more ribs displaced, um, they ought to be looked at seriously for plating. Well, Larry, you sort of stole my next question, which was, uh, and I, I guess I'll ask it again so that you can uh, articulate it again, but I think what you what you're espousing is this idea that um, maybe the most clinically relevant question for us in, um, on a day-to-day basis in our trauma patients is how fast and how effectively can we get them back to their normal lifestyle. We sort of moved away from can we get the patient off the ventilator, can we save them from a tracheostomy and pneumonia to this more, um, this what I think is actually a more compelling question, which is how do we how do we get people back to what they like to do uh, as as quickly as possible? Do you think that the 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 CWIS non-flail trial has the potential to inform inform that question? I do think it does. Um, you know, we're looking at 20 plus centers being involved in the trial. Um, we're gonna be, we're gonna have to ask our patients some very difficult questions in order to effectively do the trial. Um, they're gonna you know we're gonna we're gonna put patients in a position to choose between operative and non-operative, but I, I do think we need to a- answer the question. And I think, uh, Tom, you bring up a very good point. It's almost a fait accompli that the patient with the flail chest in the ICU who's struggling on the ventilator, we know that patient's going to do better with plating as long as they don't have a major traumatic brain injury or other distracting injuries that are more crucial than their ribs. But it's not that patient that we need to be focusing on, and this is really what I try and teach the residents. It's the patient who's on the floor that you put a epidural or paravertebral or an on-cue block in or even an intercostal block with expiril that is not pulling on IS and is not performing on functional residual capacity and other pulmonary tests and is in intense pain and their pain is just not being relieved, it's that patient that I think is the more important patient to capture because the other patients in the ICU, we're getting them all. We're going to capture all those patients. It would be hard right now in 2017 for a surgical intensivist to deny the fact that somebody with a bad flail should not have their chest wall stabilized. What's really hard is for our colleagues to accept the fact that somebody who's up on the floor that's struggling, who's going to struggle for maybe 8, 10, or 12 weeks more if they're not plated, is going to do better with plating. And to try and capture that patient before they deteriorate, get too much atelectasis, get a pneumonia with a fever, and wind up in the ICU on the ventilator. 
Okay. Um, maybe we could just change gears a little bit here. Um, let's talk about the Chest Wall Injury Society. How did you hear about it? How did you get involved? I got involved uh, when uh, uh, Dr. White uh, had his very first uh, uh, meeting of uh, interested rib plating surgeons in Park City uh, several years ago. And I thought it would, it would be a great opportunity for me to continue networking. I have always felt, uh, through all the societies that I've been in, East, AAST, and the American College, that networking is really one of the most important things that we do in our non-hospital time. Networking allows us to explore other avenues, to uh, talk to people who have done different things, to be, you know, up at the front of the line instead of in the back of the line. And I felt that, you know, uh, this would be a great opportunity for me to network with all these people that um, have been doing this for years and years and years. And it turned out that we had quite a successful first meeting. We had quite a successful second meeting. And uh, we we decided that we would try and put, put this thing together. Um, I had had some experience in the past with getting some societies off the ground, especially locally in the state of Florida and locally um, in the Gainesville area, and I felt like, you know, it would be a no-brainer, and, you know, we had we had Tom uh, involved uh, with uh, uh, the university, and we had uh, Sarah involved uh, as our uh, executive director, so to speak, and it was just a no-brainer to try and put this together. And, you know, the, the most amazing thing is we have a tremendous international following as well, and we have a, a tremendous group of international uh, thoracic surgeons, general surgeons, fracture surgeons from all over the world who have been involved in, 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 in networking. And I think that the best way to network is to do it through the society. And that's kind of how we, we put the thing together. I'm... I just feel like, you know, my position in the society, I'm kind of like the organizational guy, and I sort of reluctantly accepted this position that I have with the society for the first year because I felt like it's a good thing to get this thing off the ground, but I'm, you know, I'm in the, I'm, I'm of the thought that it's time that, uh, you know, I'm gonna yield this to the, to the, to the real experts out there. And, you know, as you see with our president-elect, uh, 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 Dr. Parachi and others, uh, and our executive committee, uh, we are really, really well positioned to uh, get this society uh, uh, moving uh, in a very positive direction over the next five to ten years. Well, you're too humble, Larry, but it's, that's, that's what uh, most great leaders are. So thank you very much for that. Um, can you tell us? You know, most of us have not really, myself, uh, I guess is who I'm referring to, have, have never really been involved in, in initiating a society before. It's There really wasn't a playbook for this. And I just, I'm wondering if you could comment for a moment about what we've done right and what we've done wrong and what opportunities do we have to make this society successful and hopefully unique, uh, uh, unique enough that, that people will want to, uh, that it's that's sustainable and that we can keep this this momentum going. 
Sure. Uh, what we've done right is we've involved uh, uh, surgeons from all over the U.S. at major academic centers and major non-academic centers. We've involved surgeons from all over the world, from South America, from Europe, and we've got an executive committee and a board of directors and subcommittees that are positioned to take the society right into the near future and to the far future. You know, having a research committee, having an education committee, um, you know, having a finance committee. Uh, we've got everything in place to uh, move this. Uh, you know, the next thing that we're going to need to do is we're going to need to network with all of the other major trauma surgical societies out there, such as the AAST and East and Western Trauma Association, and with the American College of Surgeons. And, uh, you know, the, the, the future is, is bright here. You know, we're planning a uh, cocktail party at the American College of Surgeons meeting in San Diego. Uh, we're planning networking at the uh, AAST meeting in Baltimore coming up in, in about a month or so. And, uh, you know, I think uh, we're, we're, we're moving this in the right direction. Um, I, you know, we're, we're getting ready for our uh, third uh, uh, meeting in uh, Park City. And, uh, you know, certainly, um, the, you know, the other thing that I have seen with this society, which I have not seen before, is our uh, freedom in involving our uh, vendors and our instrumentation uh, groups uh, with us directly, and I think that that has really, really exploded the industry so that there are many, many different choices of, of instrumentation now, all of which have their own little niches and their own little pluses and minuses, but all of which seek to do the same thing, which is to stabilize the ribs minimally invasively, and get the patient out of the hospital and back to society as quickly as possible. So I think we're uniquely positioned to, to do this with the, the way the society is made up now. Um, I wouldn't do much different. Um, I would make sure that every member can bring in three to five mem more members so that we can uh, increase our ranks exponentially as fast as possible. So that was going to be my next question is, um, you know, should CWIS be recruiting? Uh, so far, it's kind of been a coalition of the willing. And the question is, is what is uh, what is the major role of CWIS in regards to recruiting or to should we be, you know, spreading the word of uh, rib fracture repair? What 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 is the major role of CWIS, do you see? I see the, the major role of CWIS as an interchange of uh, uh, the you know, the finest minds in the world who are interested in chest wall stabilization and the management of rib fractures. And, you know, if you look at look at our mission, our mission isn't to ensure that every patient with a rib fracture gets a plate. Our mission is to ensure that chest wall injury becomes a management priority for all trauma surgeons um, in the world, and that we appropriately manage pain, ventilator management, 
and that the actual operative intervention probably is 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 part of it, but not as prominent as one would think. And uh, you know, it's it's an entire uh, disease management, so to speak, of rib fractures. Larry, you've been to uh, two of the the, the only two SeaWiz uh, summits. The first one, of course, was called the Rib Fracture Colloquium, and I, I take full accounting and responsibility for that terrible name. But we changed it uh, last year to the uh, Chest Wall Injury Summit. Um, uh, if someone's on the fence about going, uh, maybe they don't plate much. Maybe they had a bad experience with early plating. Maybe they um, want you know want to learn more. How? What, what? Why should they go? And let me um, put a plug in for the meeting here. It's next March in Park City at the New Park New Park Resort once again, and it's um, scheduled for uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, March three, four, and five. You should go to this meeting if you're a trauma surgeon and you face patients with multiple rib fractures. That's almost every trauma surgeon. You should go to this meeting so that you can network with the people who have done these procedures so that you can hear the pros and cons, so that you can hear the good outcomes as well as the bad outcomes, so that you can understand the pitfalls of the management of rib fractures, both both operatively and non-operatively. There are some great things on the horizon with the non-operative management of rib fractures. Liposomal bibucane is a great new pharmacologic way to manage non-operative rib fractures, and you should hear about these things. You should, you should come to the meeting so that you can put your hand on every available piece of instrumentation that is on the market today. You should see some of the new innovations. You should put your hand on it. You should be able to learn how to plate ribs. Okay. You should come to the meeting in addition to that because it's a great venue Easy to get to. It's a flight to Salt Lake City and a 45-minute drive from the city up to Park City. So it's it's not a hard hard venue to get to. Um, you should come to the meeting to relax and to interact, and as I said, to network. Well, you've you've touched on it a little bit here, and uh, maybe in just a couple minutes we have left. Um, We'll have you pull out your crystal ball and kind of speculate a little bit. Um, where do you think? What do you think the future of rib fracture repair is headed? And maybe more broadly, what do you think the future of chest wall injury will look like and chest wall management? Well, I think that chest wall injury will become a very. Um, it will become its own disease process, just like liver injury, just like spleen injury. And, you know, we tend, you know, we still tend to go, oh, they got rib fractures. They'll be all right. Don't worry about that. Let's worry about this. Um, I think the future for uh, chest wall injury uh, management is going to be in the non-operative uh, pain management and in the operative, minimally invasive approaches to the chest wall, where not only can you do an operation in a shorter period of time, with less tissue damage, but where you can get that patient up moving almost immediately. And I think what we're going to see is that interventions are going to be done a lot earlier. 
and I think that holds for the future. Now, as far as the society goes, um, personally, I want to see 500 members in the next three years. That's what I want to see, and that's what I'm going to work for. The gauntlet has been dropped. That's what I'm going to work for, and I think it can be done. Truly, I think it can be done. With the people we have right now on in this society, I think it can be done. Larry, this has been a real pleasure. Um, one of the most gratifying things about this whole endeavor has been the uh, is it, for me has been to meet such quality people, and uh, you're certainly uh, in, on the short list of there. So, well, thank you for all you've done. Well, thank you for the opportunity. This has been a great opportunity for me. Great look opportunity. Forward to, look forward to seeing you in San Diego. Absolutely. Thank okay. you so much. Thanks for joining us. And thanks, everybody, for uh, listening in. Thanks a lot.